The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Major Kong, I know you think this is crazy, but I just got a message from base over the CRM-114. And he called his wing attack for an hour. Alfa Romeo. Goldie? Did you say wing attack, plan R? Yes, sir, I have. Goldie, how many times have I told you guys that I don't want no horsing around on the airplane? I'm not horsing around, sir. That's how it's a code. Major Kong, is it possible this is some kind of loyalty test? You know, give the go code and then recall to see who would actually go. Ain't nobody ever got the go code yet. An old Ripper wouldn't be given his plan R unless them Ruskies had already clobbered Washington and a lot of other towns with a sneak attack. Yes, sir. Major Kong, message and base confirmed. Now look, boys. Ain't much of a hand at making speeches. But I got a pretty fair idea that something doggone important is going on back there. And I got a fair idea of the kind of personal emotions that some of you fellas may be thinking. Heck, I reckon you wouldn't even be human beings if you didn't have some pretty strong personal feelings about nuclear combat. But I want you to remember one thing. The folks back home is uh, counting on you, and by golly, we ain't about to let them down. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, September 23rd, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, not right wing. Just right. Fade into colour and colour into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and 519-661-3600 is always a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Uh, interesting show we're going to have today, I think, Robert. In Controversial, w- if you ask Well, me. I think so. In the wake of the national debate over Canada's gun registry and the whole issue of arms, I think today's show is about to take that debate to the ultimate limit. It's going to go to 11 today. (laughs) (laughs) And we plan to begin with a really explosive suggestion, pardon the pun. But today we'll also be getting a hands-on lesson in gun control philosophy as we examine the following questions. Is gun ownership a right or a privilege? Should we have a constitutional right to bear arms? And given the mounting evidence of the uselessness of the gun registry and gun control, why would anyone support gun control? We'll be hearing a lot from and about that camp today. But first, to whet our appetites for violence and gunslinging showdowns in the halls of our parliaments, an explosive suggestion, one made by none other than that peaceful and contented-looking co-host of mine, Robert Vaughn. Robert, Canada going nuclear? Talking about arming ourselves. (laughs) Is this your suggestion? That's my suggestion, yeah. And, And you know something? I've never, ever heard any... Canadian ever say that we should have the nuclear bomb, except for today. Well, it's a first. I'm sitting here in shock. <laughs> have you thought this through? Uh, have you yeah, considered actually, the ramifications? Yeah, as a matter of fact, there's a number of recent events in history that... No, you're not talking about nuclear energy, you're talking about the bomb. I'm talking about the bomb. Okay. Yeah. 
And it's the failure of Canada's Parliament just recently to rid us of the long gun registry that's underscored how tenuous it is for an individual to have a right to self-defense in this country. But what about the right and the duty of a government to defend its own self, its sovereignty and its borders? Canada has long ago, Bob, abrogated its ability to defend itself. Near the end of the Second World War, and now a lot of people mm -hmm. out there may not realize this or even believe it's true, but at the end of the Second World War, Canada had the world's fourth largest air force and the third largest navy. With over 1.1 million Canadians served in World War II. 1.1 million. That's amazing. That is amazing, and I think we've forgotten about how militarily important Canada was to the world in just living memory. I found also interesting the, the, the recent events in the UN, Canada trying to make a vie for the uh, Security UN Council. seat. Do you think if we yeah. had a bomb, Harper would be sitting there right now? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, our chances, I think, are pretty good to be on the Security Council. But um, I heard it didn't go so well. Oh, is that on right? On the news coming in this morning. Oh, okay. So I don't know where that sits right now. That's but, all politics in that case. But maybe, uh, maybe he should have that bomb in his pocket. Yeah. Compared to uh, the Second World War, however, today's Canada's forces are a pale ghost in comparison. Just consider these statistics, or facts, rather. 62,000 military personnel compared to the 1.1 million during the war, with 25,000 reservists. Our Air Force has about 400 aircraft. Our Navy, 34 ships with only three destroyers, four submarines, and 12 frigates. We spend only 1.1% of our GDP on our military ranking 126th out of 174 countries worldwide. Without a shadow of a doubt, Canada is unable to defend itself from some of the world's most brutal regimes. And I'm going to go through a few of them here right now. North Korea, number one, today has 1.1 million active military personnel with over 8 million reservists. It has an air force of about 1,800 aircraft and a navy of over 700 ships, including... 97 submarines. The Theocratic Republic of Iran has over half a million active military personnel with 350,000 reservists. Iran, with the help of Russia now, is well on the way to developing a nuclear capability and has about 900 multiple rocket launch systems. Russia, while relatively peaceful today compared to its recent history, has 1.2 million active military personnel. 526 naval ships, almost 4,000 military aircraft. China, China's military capability is over, is staggering. 2.2 million active military personnel, nuclear weapons, 1,900 military aircraft, 760 naval vessels, 21 destroyers, 68 submarines, many of which I suspect are probably in our waters at this very moment. We wouldn't know. Greece, Sweden, Mexico, Egypt, Italy, Israel, Brazil, and a host of other more friendlier countries have greater military strength than we do in numbers and in armaments. And if they ever chose to do so, as silly as it obviously is, they could defeat us individually, any one of those countries. Greece has more firepower, more military personnel than Canada. And if it chose to do so, could come no, over course, here and defeat our, us. Our, our race in the hand is the United States, right? That's what I'm getting to okay. right there, yeah. 
Right uh, now, there are nine countries. Are we countries. worried about them invading? <laughs> <laughs> you know something? I'm not going to talk about that today, but that is a scenario that, that is uh, plausible, I guess. There are currently nine countries in the world with the nuclear bomb. The U.S., Russia, the U.K., France, China, India, Pakistan, North Korea, of course, and quite likely Israel. Why don't we feel threatened by all of this military power in the hands of countries whose histories are rife with war? Because, as you just said, Bob, we believe that if we were ever attacked, we would be protected by the United States. This notion has two flaws. Firstly, a free country, to the extent that it is free, must be able to defend itself and not rely on treaties with foreign powers, however neighborly they might be, to defend it. Secondly, with the decline of the United States economically, morally, and spiritually, and I'm not referring to a religious spirituality here, we can no longer rely on them to do the right thing when it comes to an invasion of Canadian territory. Well, you don't think territory. for a minute they would let Canada get blown up, do you? Yes, I do. Really? The U.S. is so far in debt, its collapse oh. as a world superpower is almost inevitable. But of greater concern is the fading away of the character of the United States, once a nation which prided itself on its values of protecting individual rights, a, product, a productive work ethic, and a clear grasp of right and wrong. We have seen over the past 60 years or more a trend toward a, 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 towards a socialist welfare state, much like no. any other socialist welfare state like Greece, Italy, or Canada. Interesting. That's what I was going to say. And like Canada. Yes. So do you want another socialist welfare state to have the bomb? Well, that, that's why I, I, I said you know. to the extent that we are free. Oh, of course. I have okay, to put that little preamble. caveat yes, in there, because at one. some point in the future, if we ever do turn into the socialist gulag we're starting to go towards, then no, I don't think that our, our leaders should ever have the bomb. But to the extent that we're free and protect individual rights today, yes. It's interesting because a military is one of the few, what you and I would regard as a legitimate function of government. Yes, indeed. And yet you said the Canadian budget is only, what, one point something percent? One point one percent, 126th out of the world. Uh, that's how much we spend on our military. Uh, by, for example, the United States is just over 4% of their GDP on, the, on, on military, mm -hmm. and they're the, the uh, strongest country in the world by far. I'm reminded of previous shows where I brought up the fact that Canada is essentially on a wartime budget all the time, but we're not at war. Most of that budget is wealth transfer from one group of people to another group of people within the country. That's true. You know, we spend the, the Canadian budget today is uh, so huge uh, 60 years ago, it, it could easily have fought the war, <laughs> you know. I know, and won. <laughs> and won, which, of course, we did, but... Okay. You know. Now, especially now, things have changed. With the election of a statist and protectionist like Barack Obama, we have a United States which just might falter if it came to defending its northern neighbor. This is where I'm going to get into your argument here, Bob. Okay. Um... Where I do believe that the United States may not protect us. Who knows, if Russia decided to start drilling for oil in our northern archipelago, the Americans might find it more palatable to negotiate rather than retaliate on our behalf. Likewise, if North Korea exploded a nuclear bomb over Vancouver as a means of showing the United States that it could do the same to San Francisco if it chose, would the U.S. bomb Pyongyang for us? Probably not. Well, they wouldn't do it for us, they'd do it for them. Yeah, even though Pyongyang bombed Canada. Yeah, they may, or well, they may not. If it's a threat to them, I think they would do it. I don't think so. Well, and and know, we certainly wouldn't have the means to retaliate in our own way 
except through economic sanctions. And this seems to be the way the United States is going. Oh, we just can't unilaterally attack a country. We have to we have to go through all the avenues first, through the United Nations, through economic sanctions. Well, I wouldn't put it past them not to not to bomb Pyongyang if they bombed us. That'd be fascinating, but you know there might be a precedent there when you look at the state of well the state of the state in Mexico, and that's right on our mm-hmm. continent. The murders and killings and war over the drug war, which is an American invention to begin with. Yes, and that war is spreading all around the world. And maybe that's we need to be protected from America's drug war. I think I'm getting getting on board with this idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're not going to end that with a bomb. By the way, that uh, Mexican drug war. If you read today's paper, it coincided quite nicely with um, what's his the president of Mexico, Philip Calderon, I believe, um, his crackdown on the drug cartels. As soon as he cracked down on them, all of a sudden you have about thirty thousand people killed in Mexico in the last three years alone because of that's, his crackdown. That's, remar- that's happening on our continent. Yes. You know, and, and uh, you sit there and I shake A couple shake of days drive away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just states that we have to worry about. It's, uh, for example, the 9-11 Commission reported that Al-Qaeda has been trying to get their hands on a nuclear weapon since the early 1990s. And it's suspected that private hands now control weapons-grade plutonium from the collapse of the Soviet Union. If a terrorist nuke went off in Montreal, Bob, would the United States go to war with us over f- for that? Perhaps, maybe, if it suited their interests, as you said. But if Afghanistan and Iraq are any indication, the effect would be half-hearted and, I believe, insufficient. There are perhaps other scenarios where Canada could be attacked and our cousins to the south would find a reason not to commit to war over it, especially with Obama at the helm. At best, there would be some debate about the UN and some economic sanctions against the aggressor, but an all-out war? Don't kid yourself. For these reasons, an insufficient conventional military and a neighbor we can no longer rely on to defend us, Canada should withdraw from the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and develop its own nuclear option. This world, Bob, is not a safe place. It never has been, and it's getting even more dangerous with forces like Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, Osama bin Laden, and Kim Jong-il threatening to destroy us in our way of life. Canada, as a nuclear power, unable to defend itself with conventional forces... Our enemies, and yes, we have enemies, would certainly think seriously before attacking us. Only yesterday, Ahmadinejad, who I consider today's equivalent of Hitler, called on the U.S. and Israel to disarm and predicted the end of capitalism. The usual response from Obama is not a defense of capitalism because, on this point, he and Ahmadinejad are in full agreement, but that the U.S. has no quarrel with the Iranian people themselves, but only with its Islamist government. This Neville Chamberlain-like appeasement, this peace-in-our-time rhetoric, reveals the weak character of a weak-minded leader. Of course our quarrel is with the Iranian people. Ahmadinejad is a very popular leader who has the support of the Iranian masses. It's the Iranians we should focus our attention on. The leaders, the people, their warped sense of life and their threats to wipe Israel off the map and destroy capitalism. Yes, there are Iranians, many of whom live in this country, who would like Ahmadinejad gone, that's for sure, and a return to a modern, secular state, as Iran used to be. And I wish these people well. But on the whole, there are millions of Iranians who would dance in the streets at the sight of another terrorist attack on New York, as they did in 2001. Consider, Bob, if the Allied forces of World War II could have taken out Hitler and his cabinet and left the millions of Nazis intact, does Obama 
really think that there would not have been anyone just as vile as Hitler to take his place? National socialism was supported by the masses of Germany, and the only way such an evil philosophy could have been stopped was the way it finally was, the destruction not only of, of its leaders, but its military, its infrastructure, and its people. National socialism was crushed, just as imperialism in Japan was totally and swiftly crushed. The Second World War, get this now, Bob, the Second World War lasted six years, while the recent Iraq War lasted seven and the Afghanistan war is in its 10th year. The United States, Canada, and our allies have either forgotten how to conduct a war or they want to conduct a war wearing kid gloves. They don't want to spend money and they can't take the risk of killing civilians or worse, offending them. So the war drags on for years while a swift military campaign in the style of World War II would have finished Iraq and Afghanistan in short order. The worst thing the U.S.-led coalition did with Iraq and Afghanistan was to allow them to elect new governments while the war was not even over. The people they elected are of the same mind as the dictators who were overthrown. This rush to democracy is now typical of any American-led war. Their notion of bringing medieval nations into the civilized world is to show them how to elect their dictators. <laughs> it's, it's a joke, isn't it? Isn't it? It really is a joke, and that's why we are continually at war with these countries, because we're not doing the right thing, right thing, which is to destroy them. With the failures of Iraq and the inevitable failure of Afghanistan, we can no longer rely on the U.S. to protect this country should we run into trouble. We have to greatly expand our military capability, for that inevitable day, and it is inevitable, when it will become necessary. And we have to become a nuclear nation, preferably in the short term, to give us time to create the conventional forces necessary to protect this country. A lot of people wouldn't regard the nuclear option as a defensive one, because it certainly isn't defensive in its nature in most people's minds. It's it retaliatory. Is it is defensive in two, in two senses. First of all, it is a deterrent and a successful one since we haven't, uh, since the United States... It appears States, to be. Yeah, yes. it's 60 years and counting since there's ever been the use of a nuclear weapon. But that given, that, that, being, that being said, uh, this is going to segue into the gun control issue too. You know, I don't own a gun personally, but I feel safer in a society where I know other people can own guns because I know that the more guns are out there, they're in, at least some of them are in law-abiding hands, so to speak. Oh, the vast majority yes. of guns are in, in line by So, to me, that makes me feel safer, even if I don't own a gun. Isn't Canada a bit in the same situation? On the nuclear... You know, just, just the thought. What? That, that, that we that, feel safe that yeah. our neighbors have nuclear weapons? At least, you know... <laughs> at least the United States, which I just basically yeah. slagged well, for not being able to again, defend there's us. a lot of them. You know, often it's just a, an issue of balancing powers that keeps us free. If one of them could really take over, they would. And so you've got these competing forces. It's even within politics, within a nation. Uh, you've got forces at work that if one really took over the other, we'd all be held shackled to either to the conservatives or the liberal way of thinking. Correct. However, my very first point on this whole debate was the fact that any free country must, to the extent that it is a free country, be able to defend itself. Oh, I agree. And with the lack of conventional forces, there is only another option. That is the nuclear option. And it can be used, and this is the second point I was getting across, was the second way that a nuclear weapon is a defensive weapon is, say, for example, North Korea um, did explode a bomb in our territory. 
we would have no choice. We can't go over there by uh, our military. What, 62,000 people against over a million of theirs? No, it's just impossible. We can't do it. We'd have to retaliate with nuclear weapons and hope that we would be able to destroy their capacity to send another one over here. That's a defensive thing. That's retaliatory, okay. yes, but it's also defensive. Uh, you, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting case. Not yeah. one I've heard. Now, faced with the fact that this country can't even defend itself, it seems almost petty to think about the long gun registry, but the two actually go hand in hand. The liberal and the socialists attempt to disarm Canada's law-abiding citizens, first with the long gun registry, followed soon, mark my words, by a long gun confiscation, is justifi- justification for Canadians to shake their heads, read a little history, pay attention to the threats all around us, and arm ourselves, not only as individuals, but as a, but as a nation. I don't consider, Bob, I don't consider this jingoistic rhetoric or right-wing saber-rattling as some people might consider. This is a wake-up call to get this country back on track. Every free nation, and again, to the extent that it values individual rights, and there are fewer and fewer of these countries left, must have the means and the will to use whatever is necessary, including nuclear weapons, to defend itself. Unfortunately, there can never be a period of time when we shouldn't be prepared to go to war at a moment's notice. For all its faults, We have a good here. We really do. We have it so good for so long we've forgotten just how quickly it can all be lost if we aren't prepared. And with that in mind, we're going to switch the debate now to the gun registry. But first, we're going to hear this clip and a little bit of public opinion on the subject. I think that what makes them strict enough is there's a record of all of the people who have guns. People shouldn't be able to just run around with guns all the time and nobody knows. That's not right. Strict already, but it should be more strict to prevent teens and other people from getting guns because people can still get them illegally. And so we should just make it more strict to avoid things happening like what happened in the U.S. a couple of weeks ago. I think the gun laws are very strict in Canada and um, they should be even stricter and they should be doing a full background check on anybody even that has a criminal record, should even be able to get a gun or any kind of weapon whatsoever. I'm a citizen here. You know, I wouldn't carry a gun at all because I know my protection is being, you know, it's, it's responsible and people are looking after me. So I wouldn't carry it. There's no use for it. My father's a police officer, actually, and since the act actually came into play, I know that it's helped the law enforcement out a lot because they can, if they have any idea of what the gun is, they can regi- find the who was registered to that gun, get all the information that they need, and solve the crime. I think I feel safer here than when I go to the States, when I visit my friends and my family. And um, I even talk to like my aunts and my uncles, and they even tell me themselves that it is a better, better system. If we had more of God in this country, if we all accepted Jesus in this lifetime, that uh, we wouldn't need guns. There wouldn't be any killings. We wouldn't have to worry about our children going to school or our grandchildren going to school and being shot. I believe that if we had more of the Bible back in the schools and if we had the Lord's Prayer back in the schools, we wouldn't have to, uh, we wouldn't have to worry and the mothers wouldn't have to be on their knees so much. The children would be praying also. Why would a hoplophobe be particularly nervous of a Sturmgewehr 44 with a Krummlauf modification? Because <laughs> he was French. <laughs> well, yeah, but 
Uh, kind of true. It is, of course, a German something. Is it, a, is it Sturmgewehr 44? Sturm, is it a firearm? It is a firearm. Is it a machine gun? It's not a machine gun. Funnily enough, I have one. Oh, assault rifle. Somebody speaks German there. Sturmgewehr. And this is this extraordinary. You shoot over the train. You shoot over a wall or round a corner. And this is a periscope. But a hoplophobe is someone who hates weapons. Really? Yeah. I thought it was someone who's scared of hooplas. According to UrbanDictionary.com, this literally is their definition. An irrational fear of weapons, generally guns, usually occurring as a result of a liberal upbringing or the fact that the person is just a wimp in general. <laughs> Rather than deal with the fear, said hoplophobe will assign human characteristics to a weapon, i.e. guns are evil or guns kill, to justify the fear rather than deal with the core problem of being a sissy. <laughs> that was Stephen Fry on, the, on one of my favourite TV shows, QI. I don't know if you've ever no, seen it. I've never seen it before. Yeah, fantastic. But show. That was a very funny clip. Uh, you know, we just got over this whole uh, debate. I was going to say the debate of a census. And you know what? It is a debate about a census. Only this, the gun registry is a census for guns. And I was thinking to myself, isn't it funny? We just got over a census debate about the long form, and now we have a census debate about the long gun. The irony. The, the irony is beyond belief. And not only that, what we have is the conservatives with the, with the people's census saying we should remove the, uh, the, the, the threat of imprisonment for not yes. doing it. Now we have the liberals and, and NDP saying, no, we should throw people in jail for not registering their guns. Well, <laughs> of course, that's a fairly consistent thing, but I just thought, thought you know, it just shows how obsessed with statistics Canadians are. Because statistics are the tool of socialism. You can prove almost anything you want with statistics. But I have to tell you, yesterday on CJBK Radio, I found myself forced to respond to one of the weirdest opinions on the subject of the gun registry that I'd ever heard. In his conversation with Steve Garrison, uh, uh, London lawyer Phil Miller weighed the pros and cons of the gun registry as he saw them. And here in a nutshell is what he said, uh, bullet points, if you will. <laughs> the cons, the things against the point, or against the registry. And this is him talking, okay, these are his points. He says, one, innocent people are being charged for nothing. Many older folks have had their heirlooms confiscated by the police because they failed to register them, okay? They've had them in the house all their life, and all of a sudden, they're illegal one day, right? And then they're forced to pay exorbitant storage fees when the police come and confiscate them before they charge them or destroy them or whatever. Number two, registration does not prevent misuse. The gun registry is totally ineffective at preventing crimes of any sort because, of course, legitimate owners of guns can commit crimes just as easily as an illegitimate owner of a gun. Number three, and I've been told this myself by police officers, the registry is of no help to police. All police go to every house assuming that there's a gun. I would if I was a police officer. You bet. Registry or not. Number four. There are no crimes with long guns in, in municipalities worth mentioning. So it's not even an issue. So those were his points against it. Then he had three points in favor of it. And the first point was one, it registers guns. It registers guns. The gun registry registers guns. Good point. Okay. okay. <laughs> it goes to 11. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. And he says because we register our cars, it's the same kind of thing. That's the second point. Oh, I could say a lot about that. Oh, we, we will. And then the third point is, we're too far into it. He what? Said, he said we should compromise his very word and keep the registry. 
That's like the Soviets saying, oh, we're too far into socialism now, we can't get out. Well, that's basically how he's looking at it. And then he actually says he likes Harper's get-tough-on-crime stance. So in other words, we've already wasted billions of dollars on something that has negative value in the extreme. And remember, this is him acknowledging this. This isn't me saying this. This is somebody making a decision based on the facts he's giving us. So he says, let's keep on wasting more. And worse, we should make a compromise between registering guns for apparently no reason because it registers guns, okay, and the injustice of charging innocent people, preventing no crime, and wasting the hard-earned dollars of each and every Canadian, gun owner or not, and by the way, whether you're a gun owner or not, this is costing you money. Why do you have to be paying for something you don't even own? And it's just all about nothing but illegitimate state power. And this is beyond a non sequitur. This isn't a compromise. It's a complete contradiction. And, you know, it's a complete contradiction to say that this is bad, that is bad, this is bad, this doesn't work, this is unjust, therefore, therefore we should continue with the practice. <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Well, he's a lawyer, wasn't he? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. But, you know, I thought he was going to come to the proper conclusion. When he came up with that conclusion, I said, well, wow, that didn't follow. No, it's just that a lawyer basically has to play both sides of the fence at one point in time. Well, it sounds like he's doing a good job of it there. I don't know if that's his job there. I don't know what, what, what he was actually after. But, you know, lies and statistics seem to almost go hand in hand. Uh, the degree of differences in polls reported about the gun issue this week was beyond bizarre. Yesterday I heard Liberal MP Glenn Pearson say again on the radio that at least 80% of people tell him they want to keep the gun registry. Later on that same show, 100% of the people say, scrap it, not a single person, with me leading the way, by the way. Taxpayer Federation Director Kevin Godette, in his August 26 column in the London Free Press, reports that a vast majority of Canadians, 72%, think the long gun registry has done nothing to prevent crime, and further reports that fully 92% of rank-and-file police officers want it scrapped. So, from Glenn Pearson's 80% in favor of versus Kevin Goodett's 72 to 92% against, and a 100% public opinion sample, 100% against that we, you know, in, or sorry, in favor that we just heard, I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more, the one that we just played, versus a 100% op- opinion sample taken on a radio show going the other way, it's no wonder people are confused because the answer is not to be found in statistics. I think I told you this before, Bob, mm-hmm. but on the CBC, on their internet site last night, I noticed that they did a poll, over 4,000 respondents. Now, this is the CBC internet site. Mm-hmm. Definitely a sort of a left-leaning uh, crowd go on that site, including myself. No, I'm a, bit, a little bit suspect. No, but 68% of all the respondents said they wanted to abolish the gun registry on the CBC's own website. 68%. That's, that's, that's just, why would they, any politician have even voted the other way? It makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? But the answer is not to be found in statistics, and yet statistics are the only argument ever used in any arguments that are against freedom and responsibility. You'll notice that all the time. Statistics, there's a reason for that. Statistics will always show that some people behave irresponsibly. Isn't that natural? Therefore, goes the thinking, all people, especially the responsible and the innocent, should be held accountable for the actions of others. It's the only reason for quoting statistics. And that's the only reason they do it. We're going to hear that in spades on the other side of the break today. But first, we've got to take this uh, quick break away from the show, and we'll be back after this. I'm just kidding. It is the little things in life that are important. A good meal, fresh fallen snow, the look in a young child's face right before you hit him. Mm. 
That's just a joke. Don't hit your kids. They got guns now. <laughs> kids are tough now, you know? What's the matter, little Jimmy? Billy took my ice cream coat. So I had to creep up on him and bust a cap at his punk ass. <laughs> you got a quarter? Yeah, no problem, Jimmy. <laughs> Those are nice shoes you wear. Kids got guns. Number two cause of death among teenagers in America today are guns. You know the number one cause of death? Not having a gun. Sorry, Sam. Would you like to take me into your office and scold me? No, 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 no. <laughs> just, uh, just maybe don't do it again. I won't. Ooh. Sam, she's turned into the thing that devoured Boston. <laughs> We've got to tell Carla about this. Oh, no, we do not have to tell Carla about this. It's none of our business if she likes men loves men she can do whatever she wants with her sex life it's in the bill of rights where is it in the bill of rights well you know the part about uh, the right to assemble and bear arms <laughs> that is the stupidest thing i've ever heard hey hey i thought you said that you weren't going to call me stupid now that we're being intimate. No, I said that I wouldn't call you stupid while we're being intimate. I guess everyone interprets the Constitution a little differently, eh, Robert? Right to assemble and bear arms. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a funny episode. Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. We're going to do something a little bit different on the show today. We're going to be going into our next audio excerpt almost right away. But before we do, you'll need to know a few things. What you are about to hear for, oh, the next 13 minutes or so is an excerpt from a Rogers 10 cablecast, which was produced and broadcast in the city of Mississauga, Ontario, on October 31st, 2002. The program was called In Camera and was hosted by Brad Butt. Appearing on the show as yours truly, as a representative of Freedom Party in that, in that show, in debate with someone I'd never met before, whose name is Wendy Sukier. And apparently she's the president of the Coalition for Gun Control, still a very influential group in this whole, whole debate, nationally speaking. I did not know it at the time of this debate, but apparently Wendy and her coalition have, bear a great deal of responsibility for the state of our gun control laws in Canada today. And their group has very, been very influential. Now, the public opinions on the gun registry that we heard earlier in our show today were also taken from that 2002 broadcast. And each and every one of them supported the registry along with that, you know, little bit of old-time religion tossed in for good measure there. The show was broadcast, you should know, partly in response to one of those campus shooting incidents in the United States, so public feelings were running pretty high at the time. And I had all but forgotten about this debate and was kind of surprised that it was already digitized and ready in our archives. And since the gun registry has been such a major news event over the past week or so, and apparently will be for 
quite a while, I think it's very worth hearing this. Um, now, sometime in the not-too-distant future, um, I have to tell you, I did a lot of editing to this to get it down to the basics, but we'll likely be able to post the entire original video, don't you think, Robert, to our website sometime? Via YouTube, yeah. Yeah. Probably. So check out for that at our website, www.justrightmedia.org, but uh, it won't be today. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be a little while yet. Uh, and, of course, the debate was far too long to broadcast here in its entirety, yet I couldn't edit out more than what I've got here. I was actually very surprised about where the conversation drifted, and I think there's a great value in understanding the kind of, the kind of thinking behind gun control and gun registration. We don't hear too much from the actual people in terms of their logic, you know, like why do they support the gun registry? So as they say, you've got to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So if you've been wondering what the impetus and drive and passion behind those who favor government control and registration of guns is, then you won't get a better demonstration of it than what you are about to hear. Robert and I will return after the great debate to reflect on what we were about to hear and for some closing comments before we wrap up our show for another week. Take it away. And welcome back. Now joining us for our debate on gun control and the firearms registry is Wendy Sukier. She's the president of the Coalition for Gun Control and Robert Metz, who's the president of the Freedom Party of Ontario. Welcome to both of you. Thank you uh, for well, being thanks, here. Thanks for having us. Um, let me, I'll, start, I'll start with you, uh, Robert, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get this discussion going. What's wrong, in your, in your view, with the government of Canada asking people who own guns to register them, just like the provinces require all of us to register our vehicles? Well, my first question is why? That to me is like registering your genetics and your fingerprints just for the sake of having a registry. I don't see a reason for it, especially if you're talking about law-abiding citizens. I don't think there's really any evidence to correlate a, a crime wave with, with the right to own guns or not. That's certainly not the experience of certainly the free societies of the West. With due respect, look at the organizations which have come out in support of the legislation. Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, Canadian Police Association, Frontline Police Officers. That's very disturbing. They Don't you think this. that we have police in a country that are actually lobbying? I, the police should be doing the will of the people. The and they should be our servants, not lobbying the yeah. government to, to, to be our bosses. If I can continue, Canadian Public Health Association, because they're concerned about uh, suicide prevention, Canadian Pediatric Society, which is concerned about the safety of children. Virtually every single public health and safety group in this organization has come out in support of this legislation. So let's start with facts. Um, the fact of the matter is, in a big city like Toronto, and I haven't seen the numbers for Mississauga, in a big city like Toronto, third of the guns recovered in crime are rifles and shotguns. Those are not typically smuggled. Third of the guns recovered in crime are handguns. A third of the, the weapons recovered, the guns recovered in crime are actually replicas and air guns. If you look at the handguns, half are smuggled in, half originated domestically. So in fact, even in a big city like Toronto, when you look at crime guns, the majority of those guns originated in Canada. We've pushed very hard, and in fact, I think I sent your uh, producer that article. We've pushed very hard to strengthen the borders. The fact of the matter is, if the United States had half-decent gun control, we wouldn't have a problem at our borders. The U.S. and the illegal supply of guns in the United States, where there are almost as many guns as people, fuels crime not only in Canada, but in Mexico, in Japan, all around the world. 
And there's been a lot of work done at the international level through the United Nations trying to address that problem. Wendy, do you, do you believe that I have a right to own a gun? No. Absolutely not in this country. Right. So everything you're telling us about registry is just a front, right? You're, you don't really, you don't believe anybody has a right to own a gun. Absolutely not. Nor and does I, the Supreme Court of Canada. Me. Well, do you believe that we should, you see, in a free society, the reason the police have a right to own a gun is because I, I and you do. They get the right to govern from the consent of the governed. And the government in a free society cannot have powers that its citizens do not. When you allow the state to own guns and the citizens not to own guns, you won't be a free country for very much longer. Well, I'd, and I'd I'm like you to sure. point to me one exception to that rule. Well, Supreme Court of Canada has come out very clearly and said Canadians do not have the right to own guns. But that's not the question right. I ask. It's a moral issue. Okay, well, we're, we're going back to the right, phones. You know? James is uh, holding patiently. Whenever I hear people, and guests come on here all the time, they all throw stats around, and we're all good at stats. But, I mean, situations change, and the world does change. And we normally see that in relatively good economic times, the crime rate goes sure. like this. And in poor economic times, the crime rate goes like this. So when you do your stats and you throw your numbers around, do you factor in some of that stuff? Sure. And, I mean, we always say very clearly there are multiple factors that contribute. But what you need to do is look at what's happening with firearm-related crime relative to other rates of crime. And what you'll okay. see is firearm-related crime is declining faster than other rates of crime. It's true that all around the world crime rates are coming down, except, in fact, for the United States, where the homicide rate has gone up. But what we've seen is firearm-related deaths and injuries, particularly when you look at long guns, have dropped dramatically. I mean, I think... I won't give you the numbers, but, but that's what you have to do. You have well, to break it out and compare the, the different pieces. Speaking of statistics, I'd like yeah. to see the statistics for how many crimes and murders were prevented because of a gun ownership. You never hear that. You only see the visible. You know, it's like government job creation. They can show you the factory they created with the government money, but then the unemployment rate goes up because, of course, they're taking that money from taxpayers. It's the same thing here. We can see that maybe, uh, you know, the, here's a crime and here is... Uh, an accident might have, that might have happened because of a gun. But what we don't see and what isn't measured in statistics is all the people that because they had a gun, they prevented themselves from being assaulted. I know that happened to my father-in-law in Miami twice. And if I lived in Miami, I would be wanting to own a gun. Well, and, if, you know, if, I guns, wouldn't... if guns made us safer, the United States would be the safest country in the world. I mean, there may be incidents. I certainly don't know of them. I mean, Norm Gardner did stop someone from robbing his bakery, and, and that's well publicized. But how but come you don't general, know? You're in the business of telling people that you don't want them to own guns, and you don't even know the statistics for how many people's <laughs> lives are saved, how many business... I think every business owner should have, be able to have a gun behind the counter. It would stop a lot of store robberies. I think it uh, would actually increase suicide and domestic violence among business owners. But the fact is, there is no evidence... So you think business owners are suicidally tendency? Or, no, or, or, I think... Or, that if you have more guns, you have higher rates of suicide, of domestic violence, and of kids getting access to guns who shouldn't. In terms of the second question the caller had... Where do you get, where do you get a, a, a thing like that? I, I've never heard anything like that. I've read all sorts of stuff. In fact, I've seen 
cases where, for example, in Kennesaw, Georgia in 1982, they had such a high crime rate, the police insisted that everyone have a gun, that they be trained on the gun, that they ran a, they ran a program, they trained women how to use a handgun. Crime rate dropped 63% in the one year. The United States and, has 150 times as many handgun murders as we do. But then that's not a reason to get rid of guns, and it's not going to stop people who, who, who don't care about the laws that you want to see in place. There's no uh, evidence that all of those people in the United States, and as I said, there are almost as many guns as people in the United well, let me, States. Let's get down and make There's this. no evidence that that is making people safer. I find in it. fact, the evidence suggests, and there's lots of research that's been published on this, the evidence that suggests that where you have more guns in industrialized countries, you have more gun-related deaths. And well, that's such a superficial statistic. It tells you nothing about cause, about effect, about anything. You know, the issue here is, why should that even matter to me? You're telling me, as a human being in, 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 in Ontario, Canada, that I cannot personally own a gun in my home because of all these statistics in the United States and no. because you're afraid of other people committing suicide? You can suicide? have a gun in your home No, you told you me earlier you don't believe in gun ownership. No. This whole I, registration thing is just a front. I, That's I, where you're going with it. I said nothing registration of step the one. sort. I said that I licensing is aimed at reducing the risk that people shouldn't have guns, get access to guns, registration track guns. I certainly never said did, did you that not, those prevent well, gun well, ownership. She said no when but, I asked her if I have a right to own a gun. She you said, don't have a right well, to own a gun. Well, You, you mean, do not have a right to own a gun. There is no right, right to, to own, own a gun. No. But well, you are able to own guns in Canada, provided you comply with the law. Why should I not law. be able to? Why should I, myself, not be allowed to own a gun? This is a personal issue, you know. It's not an issue of just statistics and, 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 and licensing and collecting taxes and thinking you're doing something. I don't think it's doing anything. Well, I'm, I'm assuming what she's saying is that if you pass the requisite tests and so on, then obviously, just like a driver's light, you've got to pass, you know, to I'm drive not, a car. I'm not arguing about those pass. kind of so issues. So the question I have for you, though, Freedom Party of, of, of Ontario, Freedom Party of Canada, obviously, mm -hmm. one would suggest that means all freedoms, all personal rights, and so on and so forth. Combined with personal responsibility. And personal responsibility. Absolutely. So if the federal government says to you that you're a gun owner and to, and to be able to, to own that gun, you have to pass a test and have a firearms acquisition certificate and a license, how does that violate one's freedom? It depends on where you want to have the gun. You know, in, 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 going back in history, gun, you only registered, re registered a weapon if you wanted to carry it outside your own property. You got a, you got a, a license to carry a gun in public, so to speak. And I wouldn't have a real objection to that because the government owns the public property. But in your home, that's a, that's a sacrosanct place. And whatever you own there doesn't have to be registered if you're not going to take it out of your home or if you're only going to have a restricted use for it. There are hunting clubs, there are private militias, there are uh, all sorts of uses for guns that besides killing and suicide and all those kinds of things. And, and self-defense, I think, is one of the critical ones. It's one of the most basic rights that you as an individual have. And, and gun control is not in isolation. You've you got to realize that they have banned mace, they have banned um, these not killings, but, but self-defensive weapons that you're not even allowed to have. So there's a, there's a movement in our country to deny the right of self-defense to the citizen and to monopolize it with the police. And that's not the right formula you want in a society that's going to last very, very much longer. Look at what happens in any country where you have that imbalance. Well, again, I would say 
going back to my point at the beginning, in all industrialized countries, with the exception of the United States, there are guns. People have guns for hunting. They have them for collecting. They have them for target shooting. But the assumption is that gun ownership is a privilege. Consequently, in order to have a gun, you have a license and it's registered. And the reason why you need to get, have a license, whether you have the gun in your house or whether you carry it in the street, is the fact of the matter is most Canadians killed with guns are killed in private homes. They're not killed in the well, street. Well, that's the fact of all murder statistics, is that uh, whether, w guns or not, most people who are murdered are murdered by someone they know, usually a spouse. And it doesn't have to be done by a gun. So that's not a statistic that's just singularly That's precisely to guns. why you want, though, licensing and registration of guns, even if they are in the home. But because how, how, you okay, want to so, reduce the so risk. So the guy kills his wife with a gun, but it was registered. Now you're happy? As I said, licensing is aimed at keeping people f with a history of violence from oh, getting access to guns. I have no guns. problem with that, but you're talking about... Now, see, that's licensing a person. I'm talking about licensing every little weapon, which weapons, when you start paying attention to a weapon, you're no longer watching the behavior of the individual. I don't uh, know if you, you know, watched the same program that I watched the first half of the show where um, the, uh, what was it, uh, Constable Bertram? Bertram, yeah. Um, explain the difference between the license and registration and the point with the new firearms legislation is well, that it I, I acknowledge both. that all that exists but I disagree with it. I don't think it's it's proper legislation in a country that wants to continue to call itself a free country in a country where citizens have rights. Uh, do you believe that a police officer has a right to have a gun? The police officer doesn't have a right to have a gun but the state has given police officers the privilege of... Where did the, the state get the right to, get that, to give that gun? How does the state get that right? And from where? From our Constitution our and from our and Charter. Who wrote the Constitution and where does the Constitution... From where the country, when the country was founded, it was founded under the BNA Act and then we created and our own Constitution. And everyone had a right to own a gun then. It was fundamental. You couldn't live in this country without a gun. Well, that's that not... Point. In fact, if we looked in the history books, we would find that most people in this country... But we don't have a Second guns. Amendment right in our Constitution no, we like absolutely they have in the United States. Not. Is that correct? Well, that's correct, but is that, is that a right thing or not? We have to look at, at, at the history of nations and what keeps a nation free. And, the, and you know, the, the greatest danger you have to you in society is your own government. It's not invasion from criminals from a, from a, a foreign nation or anything. It's your own government that has to be balanced. You have to have that balance in check. People have to have the right to defend themselves. The International Declaration of Human Rights gives us the right to freedom from fear. And in most industrialized countries, the assumption is that the state will help protect its citizens. The notion that citizens will be safer if all of them pack a revolver or a pistol or have an AK-47 under their I bed. I didn't say that. Only only operates in societies where government has fallen apart and where okay. you don't have yep. um, well, What I'd like to do is, 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 because there may be people that want to get in yeah. touch with both of you. That's how it went, Robert, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's <laughs> a very illuminating uh, discussion you it, had with her. It was, and you know, she said that every, all these rights, if you, if you want a gun, it comes from the Constitution. Well, that was just, we never got into it. You know, that Actually, was I could, I'd like to say one thing sure. on that. You know, she has a complete misunderstanding of what a right is and what the role of government is. We have a right to self-defense. We have a right to own defensive weapons. Rights are not granted by government. They're ours by, ours by our nature as rational humans. Rights are either protected by government or they're violated by government. They're not granted by government or the Supreme Court. Gun ownership is a right currently being violated 
by the government and the Supreme Court. I agree with you, even though I never owned a gun. And, you know, people forget what the fundamental purpose of a nation's constitution is. And there she is claiming, oh, the, we, get, we get the source of our authority from the constitution. Well, there's only two basic kinds of constitutions, those of free nations and those of state-controlled nations. In a free nation, the purpose of a constitution is to protect that nation's citizens from the initiation of force by its own government. That's the purpose of that constitution. Constitutions apply to governments. Yes. They don't apply to people. Correct. They're supposed to limit the, a, a person's uh, or the government's power. And to do this, a government is granted a monopoly on the retaliatory use of force, which is essential to the administration of justice but not given a monopoly on the use of defensive force, which is a natural right that belongs to all by virtue of their right to exist and survive. That's where it comes from. In an unfree nation, of course, the purpose of a constitution is to protect the government from its citizens. And that's what we see happening more and more as countries drift into socialism. So to the degree that a nation's particular constitution does the former, it is free. The latter, it is less free. And, you know, the conflict is initiated and forced upon us all, only by those who want the government to control things in the first place. You know, up until that idea got accepted, who cares, right? I think gun control is a way of the government giving up on crime. They just give up fighting crime. Every time I hear the argument that someone's gun might be stolen by a thief, I ask myself, why aren't we concentrating on the thief? Yeah. You know? And not on the innocent gun owner who's made to bear the guilt and penalty for a thief's crime. It, it, it just it disgusts me to hear the debate. And you know, there are three types of force, and people get them mixed up all the time. There's defensive force, there's retaliatory force, and there's initiatory force. And they're all very different. Initiatory is done by criminals and occasionally by governments. Defensive is, of course, the individual and government. And retaliatory in a free society we generally do through government. We can't all run around, as they say, as vigilantes, being yeah. vigilantes. And that brings us to another interesting thing. Lauren Gunter here had an interesting commentary on gun bans don't prevent murder, October 27, 2008. So this is a couple of years old, but what an interesting statistic. He says, um, you know, crusading politicians may keep law-abiding citizens from possessing guns, but that'll do nothing to stop firearm crimes because law-abiding citizens aren't shooting down their rival meth pushers outside strip clubs at 2 a.m. <laughs> that says a lot, and we haven't even gotten in to the whole drug prohibition thing, which could be a whole separate chapter to this, which is where a lot of our violent crime and our whole source of violence comes from. Yeah. But he says that Statistics Canada reported that, quote, while the overall rate of homicides committed with a firearm has generally been decreasing since the mid-'70s, the use of handguns has been on the rise. In 2007, handguns were used in two-thirds of all firearm homicides, up from about a quarter 20 years ago. Now, what's significant about this, of course, is that uh, the fact that handgun murders have, quote, more than doubled over the past 20 years is, is that it has been the law in Canada since 1934 that all handguns be registered. So that worked really well, didn't it? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet handguns in Canada are the most popular type of firearm used in murders. A handgun is a weapon of choice in twice as many murders as in all other gun types combined. In urban areas, according to StatsCan, 81% of all firearm-related homicides were committed with a handgun. 
So if registration and confiscation worked, we would see it in our handgun stats, wouldn't we? We would, yeah. It's not there. Instead, we see what is an utter failure, he says, it, as it has been and always will be, to take guns away from law-abiding Canadians. And that's pretty well where I can close the show off. What about yourself, Robert? Well, I find it interesting when we were talking earlier about gun conversation, uh, con- um, Confiscation, where's yes. the word? Um, that it's against the law in Canada to even wear a bulletproof vest. That's how bad... Are you our, kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. you. You'll see it sometimes. Every now and then they'll talk about, oh, somebody was um, was picked up for owning a handgun or whatever it is, and also owning, for example, bulletproof vests. Mm-hmm. Protective gear. It's against the law. You're not allowed to do that. You know why? Because they think that the criminals out there are the only ones going to be wearing these things and they can't be shot by the police. The police want to be able to kill people. And you're not allowed to wear a protective vest in this country. That's how little they respect our right to our, defend ourselves. Well, it, 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 so the motivation isn't anything of what they're even telling us, is it, no. really? No. What a sad situation that we are in, but maybe we'll see what we can do to get it better. It's not going away. This is going to come back. Harper has vowed to get rid of the gun registry, although I'm dubious about whether he'll be able to do it or for what reasons he'll do it. I have a feeling it might go the way of the uh, the census debate. <laughs> Who knows? Well, that's it for this week, and we've got to get out of here now. So, until next week, we hope you'll join us again as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, act right. Stay right and be right back here. We'll see you next week. Fade into color Color into black and white In England, the police don't even carry guns. Isn't that amazing? How do you catch criminals without guns? All right, we've got the place surrounded. <laughs> Red Rover, Red Rover. Send the bad guy over. How do they take the cops seriously over there? They don't carry guns and they wear the biggest hats on the planet. The hats are like this tall. How do they fit in the squad cars with hats that big? Quick, Nodgley's getting away. Oh. Well, screw it, we'll have a beer. <laughs>